Every player in the league has a vision for the end of their season. If it's not a trophy or a podium, then maybe it's a hard-fought series with a noble end. It could be a new contract, or even just some proof to the world that they belong. It's a statement about how they play and, by extension, who they are. It goes without saying that these visions don't often come true. The vast majority of players will always fall short, even if it's for reasons beyond their control. Failure is part of the deal. You get the tears and the relief and the champagne when you win because the game is set up for you to lose. There are 29 teams and yours. There are over 400 qualified players, and then there's you. It's pretty clear that not everyone gets to go home happy. So most of the time, you make your peace by doing what you can. You play out the year, you take advantage of whatever opportunities come your way, and you hope beyond hope for anything but this. Haven't been able to get started once again here in this uh, second half. We were talking a moment ago about the disparity. Oh my goodness, Robertson lost his footing. Slipped and went down hard on his backside. Ouch, ouch, ouch. Just looked like he just slipped on something. There was no contact on the play. Thunder's medical director, Dr. Donald Strack, just took a look at the replay and hustled out to be with Dre. For Andre Robertson, that was it. One moment he was cutting down the baseline for what looked like a wide-open dunk, and the next he was being carted off on a stretcher with his leg immobilized. Even if he didn't know it just then, his season was over. It died that night in Detroit, with his team up 25 points and his patellar tendon ruptured. Andre Robertson on the floor. Receiving the attention of Thunder and Pistons medical personnel at times he has grabbed a towel and stuck it in his mouth and chewed on it. Russell Westbrook praying. See just right there as he stepped into the restricted area and you can see I mean, he knew immediately something was wrong because he literally pulled himself crawling off the floor. Robertson's story takes him through the tunnel and to the hospital, and the worst of it is really yet to come. If you want to get a sense of what he'll be going through over the next few months, check out an episode we did last season, entitled Injury, with Lakers forward Julius Randle. There's really a lot to unpack, both mentally and physically, for a player coming back from a serious leg injury. It was painful because you can't really, you know, bend your knee, so you just feel jammed up. You, you do bend your knee, it's like a, feels like a, like your knee is about to burst. But it's at this point that Robertson and the Thunder effectively go their separate ways. Oklahoma City still has a lot to play for, and the first step in doing that is figuring out how the team functions without its best defender. They've got Russell Westbrook, they've got Paul George, Stephen Adams, Carmelo Anthony, and then there's this void. This is the first time in years the Thunder won't have the luxury of just throwing Robertson at whatever scorer is giving them problems. And because of that, they're forced to confront the fact that this guy averaging five points a game 
has become sort of a linchpin for their team. Westbrook said it himself. I think people outside our building, people across the world, always complained about different things Andre didn't do um, instead of embracing all the great things he did do. Um, and, you know, I've always embraced Andre, and uh, I was always very, very happy he was on my team because of the things he did on, on both sides of the ball, setting screens, cutting, running the floor, a lot of things that you can't teach. And, uh, he's, you know, he's definitely, uh, that's a big part of our, our team and our, our success. This crucial piece is missing. And the only way to understand how to replace it is to first grapple with what exactly the Thunder have lost. I'm Rob Mahoney, and you're listening to Breakaway. Before Robertson became one of the NBA's best individual defenders, he was a rookie on a stacked Thunder team who couldn't really get into the game. I came in the league, you know, eyes open, just trying to you know, be a sponge, trying to soak up as much stuff as possible, and, you know, didn't really play that much my first year, you know, so I just, you know, did a lot of off-the-court stuff, looking at film, studying certain guys, offensively and defensively. Robertson watched Tony Allen, whose ferocity made 6'4 seem like 6'8. He honed in on Kawhi Leonard, who in his third season gave LeBron James all he could handle. His subjects on film were the kind of defenders who never stopped. You know, defenders like that, just tenacious and always constantly in pursuit. That I, you know, I kind of watched and, you know, just kind of learned techniques from, you know, just kind of put it, put it towards my game a little bit. These were Robertson's role models, and a pair of superstars, his training partners. Robertson cut his teeth checking some of the league's most unguardable players in practice. One day it would be Kevin Durant, whose height requires a perfect contest for a defender to have any influence at all. The next it would be Russell Westbrook, whose speed demands perfect footwork and positioning at all times. Between the film curriculum and the on-court practical, this was a perfect environment for grooming an elite defender. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But it only really worked to the extent that it did because Robertson had God-given abilities, athleticism, length, pursuit, relentlessness, stuff like that. You know, the makeup. The best-schooled, hardest-working defender can't do what Robertson does because they probably don't have a 6'11 wingspan and they definitely don't have his instincts. Robertson's raw materials, both physically and mentally, are perfectly suited for locked-in defense. So he became a stopper, the latest in this long line of specialists whose primary job is to terrorize top scorers. It's difficult, it's thankless, and it's the difference between winning and losing games that matter. This is how Billy Donovan, the coach of the Thunder, spoke of Robertson when he was asked about his defense last season. I don't know if people understand or realize how hard his job is and how hard, uh, you know, he has to work to do what he does. Um, you know, it's it's every night it's a different guy. You know, tonight it was, you know, LeBron James. Um, 
but it, like it could be Harden. It's just every night there's somebody that that he's facing. Damian Lillard, McCollum. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And I've said this: like when you're playing against really, really good offensive players, great offense always beats great defense. But you're not going to find a guy in this league, in my opinion, that works any harder to make things as difficult as he possibly can. And a guy that doesn't get discouraged when the shot-making ability of a LeBron James or Damian Lillard or McCollum um, or whoever it may be where the ball goes in the basket, like he can live with it and move on and know he's done his best. But he, every possession, gives his heart and soul to play in defense. I mean, getting over screens, fighting pick-and-roll coverage, bodying uh, in the low post, trying to keep guys off the backboard. You know, I'm not going to sit there and say that he, like, he just shuts everybody down. What I'm saying is I don't know if there's a player in the NBA that makes it more difficult on high-octane scores than he does. And Donovan was right. If the other team has an all-NBA caliber player on the perimeter, Robertson is the guy you want guarding them doesn't really matter what position they play or even what style. Robertson makes it work. He takes this inherently futile enterprise and he completely dedicates himself to it. Stars will get theirs, but Robertson challenges every angle along the way, inserting himself into the action where other players can't. Think for a moment about what a perfect defensive play looks like. For you, maybe it's shutting down a series of one-on-one moves, or a well-timed rotation to block a shot. Those are great, but in the modern NBA, the real battleground of every possession comes at the point of the screen. Whether the offense is running pick and roll or more motiony off-ball stuff, how a defender navigates around a screen dictates everything. That's not going to make Sports Center. It's really not even great for NBA diehards who are putting up clips on YouTube or churning out animated GIFs. But it's the kind of thing your coach tends to notice when they see it time and time again. There's a lot of great defenders in this league. I think he's certainly right there with the best of them, if not the best. Uh, I'm biased. Um, I work with him every day. Um, I know his commitment. I see what he does on film. I study it. I watch it. I see the impact he makes. I see things that are not and don't go in the stat sheet that he does that are really, really impactful. Like you can't, there's no stat at the end of the game of how many pick and rolls this guy was in and how many screens he actually got over with being able to get Steven Adams out of coverage so he can get back to his man on a roll. Or how many times he's running along the baseline, he's chasing shooters off screens. And this is where Robertson is an absolute star. Any player good enough for Robertson to be guarding them is usually a dangerous shooter, the kind that can't be given daylight on the far side of a screen. So it's Robertson's job to wedge himself in there, somehow preventing his man from turning the corner without reaching so much that he fouls. Even that little thing seems kind of impossible. And it all goes down within a fraction of a second, in this tiny space between an expert foul-drawing creator and a screener resolved to hit Robertson with a brick wall. Things can get tricky. Being one of the, you know, top premier defenders in the league, you know, when you're on, like, their guy, you know, riding them tough, you know, Bigs like to go in there and try to, you know, lay some wood on you. And, uh, you know, you got to constantly fight through that. And it's, it's, it gets chippy at times, but it, it's fun. Just battling through nicks and bruises and stuff like that. But it's, the, it's the price you pay. It comes with defending in the trenches. NBA refs are better at officiating screens now than they were five years ago. But screeners still wisely do everything they can to toe the line of what's technically allowed. As you kind of see, they'll set it and they'll kind of use their hips a little bit to kind of 
they could go wider or they use their hands to kind of push off and kind of use momentum as well as you going that way and kind of basically a two-on-one or you know or kind of you make double double screens with certain guys sometimes they put a guard in it with a big just kind of switch it up and making things different or trying to make us miscommunicate with guard to guard switching stuff like that so uh, it's just a lot of tricks and trades in the game that you gotta battle with throughout and be locked in it's important to remember that robertson never really prepared for this when he was growing up the nba was playing an entirely different game one that was driven by isolation play with much less extreme spacing the idea that you would need to chase a guard over a screen 25 feet from the basket it would have seemed insane now that's just wednesday And because of that, this kind of defensive role has never been more difficult. The ISO NBA of the 90s and early 2000s set up basketball as a duel. It was Kobe Bryant and Bruce Bowen locked in a stare down. Every jab step was like the twitch of a trigger finger. Each player got the measure of his opponent, bided his time, and then made his move. That must be nice. Because if you're guarding a premier scorer today, odds are that you've been run through two or three screens before your man ever touches the ball. And when he finally does, he has the momentum of the entire possession carrying him. Most defenders are already a step or two behind before the action even really starts. But not Robertson. This is one of the most unscreenable players in the league. Someone who can not only slink his way through tight spaces, but who has the length to shade a play from behind. I mean, it's definitely a, a game within the game when fighting through screens and kind of wedging, wedging yourself in there. Definitely back in the day, it's kind of more my, my, more my game is, you know, hand checking a guy all the way down the court or, you know, putting, putting your hand and kind of controlling the player a little bit. But now today you, you can't really touch him. You gotta, you gotta use more of your, your feet and smarts to kind of get around stuff. It, it's, a, it's a lot of going over nowadays, but at the same time, you still gotta switch it up. The way they set screens, it kind of forces you to go underneath. And most of the time, they'll probably re-pick with a step up. But most of the time, I could kind of make it look like I'm going over to which they try to shed the screen a little bit more that way. And then last second, going underneath or just to reading it. And sometimes they're just flying off of it so hard. It's, it's hard to get it. It's hard to shoot, stop and shoot the ball like that. And then me being able to still kind of contest late at the end. When a ball handler does manage to get past Robertson, there's this flash of relief. Finally, they can read the floor without this guy jamming up their dribble. There's actually a lane to drive or to pass, this golden opportunity that Robertson would otherwise take away. So they make their reads, they shimmy around whatever big man is rotated in front of them, and when they finally commit to shoot, they see Robertson leaping into view, swatting at the ball from behind. And once Robertson does that, the defender always knows he's there. Even when he's not right in front of them, he's in the back of their heads. That mind game can be just as powerful as the blocks and deflections themselves. When they start throwing a lot of pump fakes and trying to get you up off your feet, that's when I know I got them. Because usually I can, I, I can stay down and you know contest easily uh, with using my length on the shot. Or when they're talking to the refs, that's a big sign talking to the refs, calling for fouls, and, 
you know, they're worried about the wrong things instead of, you know, worried about the team and, you know, staying in the moment. When I see those two things, that's for sure a sign that I'm, I got them. And now that's gone. Most of Robertson's assignments will go to Paul George or Terrence Ferguson, maybe Josh Hustis, but none of those options work in the same way. Ferguson and Hustis are definitely committed, but they're not reading the game at the same level that Robertson did. A huge part of Robertson's work involves identifying plays while they're still developing and finding ways to undermine them. Like, and just as a hypothetical, a cross-court inbound pass to Gary Harris for a buzzer-beating three. Harris, good if it goes! Denver wins! I mean, this is how Robertson experiences an average defensive possession. You just kind of sense what's going to happen, depending on the team you play. I kind of see how the floor is spaced out, see if a big's high, my man's in the corner, stuff like that. Most of the time it's kind of like a floppy action or, you know, a down screen to my man in the corner. Just depending on, you just got to read how the floor is set up, to be honest, and know who you're guarding. Um, most of the time the ball's going to come to them, so you just basically got to recognize where, who's on the spot, who on the floor, and as well as, you know, staying in our, our team defense. So you got to kind of like sniff it out before it happens. But I kind of learned the actions now throughout the years to where I know what plays are for who and what, what actions certain players like. So I kind of like, you know, kind of see what's coming before it happens. Yeah, it just comes with time. Just figuring out the ins and outs. I watch film every day. Guys here do a great job of putting scout reports together and, and you know, and just sit down and lock in and kind of look at tendencies and what guy does this, what guy does that, and uh, which way he likes to go, certain plays, certain actions for them. So it's just a lot that goes into it. And you're constantly thinking and constantly on the run. So it's fun. George has that kind of awareness, but he's not as relentless as Robertson, which completely changes the personality of his coverage. To the extent that we talk about defense at all, we tend to generalize. We lump guys into groups based on kind of a global understanding of how effective they are. Here are the elite defenders. Here are the pretty good ones, and here are the guys everyone makes fun of on Twitter. But within defense, and even within perimeter defense, is an entire skill set. The same way you could break down a player's offensive game into pull-up shooting and offhand dribbling and pick-and-roll passing, it applies to defense just the same. But instead, it's closeouts and positioning and staying down on pump fakes. Some defenders love to gamble, while others prefer to stay home. Some play up into their opponent's jersey, while others just know how to close the gap. That specificity matters, because in most cases, the outcome of a possession is decided on that kind of granular level. All of which makes the idea of replacing Robertson even more complex. What made the Thunder one of the best defensive teams in the NBA this season was the way their talents compounded. It's great to have Robertson, and it's great to have George, but it's an incredible luxury to have both. To have two versatile defenders not only operating at that level, but complementing one another. Robertson could stifle action on the ball, forcing opponents into their second or third options, and George would wreak havoc in space, denying lanes and turning every deflection into a fast break. If their matchups didn't work, they could swap without surrendering much at all. 
Everything from the assignments to their approach was completely adaptable. And that's one thing I learned that, you know, every night <clears throat> you got to play a different style. Um, you know, certain guys you can be more aggressive, certain guys you got to, you know, lack off and, you know, be a little bit more finesse. So that's definitely art, just switching it up every night. And by that logic, no one defender is going to be ideal for every occasion. Some are better at the aggressive, some are better at the finesse. So having both Robertson and George worked as a double safeguard. It made a strong front seem impenetrable. Circumventing that front took real effort for Thunder opponents. Before even really getting into their offense, teams would throw targeted screens at Robertson, hoping to trigger certain switches. They're kind of manipulating uh, our defense. Like I said, all five guys got to work together. And usually, uh, they want to get me off a guy is, you know see who I'm switching with out there on the floor. So usually it's like one through four or one through three, we switch. And they bring a guy into a pick and roll, and then we're going to switch, and then they run their play from there. And if Robertson could avoid a screen or two, an offense could easily run six or seven seconds off the shot clock without accomplishing anything at all. His impact was cumulative. With a stall here and a disruption there, Robertson could throw off the timing of the offense and spoil their scoring attempt. You can't just replicate that kind of thing piecemeal now that he's out of the lineup. All this might seem like a bit much for a role player, especially one whose poor shooting from both three-point range and from the free throw line have created real problems. But it all makes sense when you've seen what happens to the Thunder when Robertson isn't on the floor. Put him in the mix and Oklahoma City blows out its opponents. We're talking about a double-digit margin after you adjust for pace. Take him out and everything is a coin toss. The Thunder become a break-even team that really needs their more difficult shots to fall. And that's how a guy who can't shoot and won't score winds up with the highest net rating on a star-laden team, and one of the highest net ratings in the NBA, period. Plugging Ferguson or Abrinas into the starting lineup just hasn't worked. A group that should be a huge advantage for the Thunder folds under its inability to get stops. Think about it this way. The difference between the best defense in the league and the worst defense in the league is about 10 points per 100 possessions. But plug any of Ferguson, Abrinas, or Hustis in place of Robertson, and the Thunder defense drops by about 15 or 20 points right there. There was really an artful balance to the Thunder starters when Robertson was healthy. With him taking the toughest defensive assignments and Russell Westbrook doing a lot of the heavy lifting offensively, Paul George fell into this really comfortable flex role. Carmelo Anthony was saved from himself by having teammates who could create, and bailed out defensively in the fact that George could slide between both forward spots. On top of that, the combination of George and Robertson really simplified things for Steven Adams, who could trust in the reliability of their coverage. It's much easier to help when the guys on the ball are actually containing the play. And in return, Adams helped set the scene for Robertson by communicating exactly what was going on. They gotta be my eyes in the back of my head. I'm locked in most of the time, top of the key, you know, locked into the guy. Don't know whether I'm on an isolation or, you know, pick and roll. So you gotta constantly be locked in, but coverage just switch up from game to game and with certain people as well. Hence why the communication was so important. Robertson needed to know what was coming so he knew how to react. That's where Adams came in. With Steve, most of the time it was a pick and roll. With this smaller guy, uh, you know, red, which is a switch, which kind of changes your feet and how you kind of play defense. If it's big, you kind of want to angle him down towards him and kind of press into him. But 
it just in the game it happens so fast. Split second, mess your feet up, it's downhill, or you know, it's just that split second they get a whip past four three. That technique can be the difference between a stop and a breakdown. Or in a broader sense, the difference between starting a defensive player of the year candidate and a 19-year-old rookie. It's worth noting, too, that the defense with Robertson wasn't just stingier overall. It created significantly more turnovers, which then fed back into the Thunder offense. That's a big deal for a team that tends to underwhelm in the half court. Robertson's lack of shooting is an issue there, and it would be an even bigger one in the playoffs. But there's something to be said about the fact that he doesn't really want the ball, and what that leaves on the table for Westbrook, George, and Anthony. The harmony between those three scorers is made possible by the fact that Robertson is really only focused on defense. That disposition is a gift. Last season on Breakaway, we spoke with Warriors assistant coach and resident philosopher Ron Adams, who had this to say about the psychology of dedicating yourself to defense. So defensively, obviously we're, we're all connected. What one person does, everyone else has to adjust to when one person moves. In the best of worlds, everyone moves. It doesn't always happen. It's what we strive for. I think defensively, through this this aspect of connectedness, this, this concept of connectedness, it's very altruistic. We do something for someone else that's not glamorous. Offense is glamorous. Offense is... Uh, except to the purest offenses, um, notable to the public. Defense is kind of what all of us have to do in life to, to, to not only live good lives, but to make other people's lives better. I think it's a giving thing. Robertson misses threes and airballs free throws, but he also gives and gives and gives. His game is so completely unassuming. On one end of the court, he digs into a role where failure is inevitable, only to take his lumps and try again next time. On the other, he quietly looks for ways to contribute without getting in the way. It's cruel that Robertson blew out his knee doing just that, cutting back door for a lob to take advantage of the defense's inattention. Of all the ways his lack of shooting could have hurt the Thunder, this has to be the absolute worst. Here's the cold truth. The Thunder were always going to have to learn to win without Andre Robertson. Some playoff opponent was going to push its coverage to the point that Robertson's lack of shooting became untenable. Or if not, they might start hacking Robertson intentionally, reducing the entire Thunder offense to the work of a 32% foul shooter. The incentives to marginalize Robertson were just too high. He was so good defensively that almost any workaround is worth pursuing. Any means of getting him out of a play or off the floor could change the momentum of a game. So what Oklahoma City is really missing here is choice. Even when opponents tried to pressure the Thunder into taking Robertson out, Donovan and his staff could have weighed those trade-offs carefully. In some situations, they might have obliged. In others, they might have decided to live with the costs, particularly in the case of the most dangerous superstar matchups. When you're lined up against, say, James Harden, you want someone on the front lines who completely understands the ins and outs of that assignment. Robertson had it down pat. 
at least as much as any player could. It's tough. Try not to let them get downhill. Blow by the top of the key. Uh, that definitely puts uh, the defense in a bind. And secondly, you know, when pick and roll comes, I mean, most of the time you just pick and roll. It's great, great, great pick and roll maestro. You got to kind of like fight over the screen, but like not be too aggressive because he's great at draw, drawing fouls with the reaches. Or if you give him too much bump over the screen, he can kind of flop out of it, which he does a real good job at. This is a fine art to it. That's a balance. Kind of, like I said, be aggressive, be finesse. Because he's just, he's just so great at uh, manipulating you know, the pick and roll. So uh, he put two on the ball. He's either, he got spot-up shooters, Trevor Reason, Eric Gordon. Clint Capella and Nene putting pressure at the rim with the lob, so you gotta gotta balance everything. The things you gotta worry about is is he is he taking contested shots or is he taking wide open shots, and that's what you gotta worry about. We're living with you know contested shots. If we're doing the right things in the coverage, and we gotta I got our hand up in his face, he still makes it. Pat him on the butt, go down the other way. You're not going to find a defender with that kind of rigor just anywhere. They'll be hard to trade for. They're not buyout candidates, and they're not just sitting around unsigned either. Robertson, for all his flaws, inked a three-year, $30 million contract with the Thunder last summer, and you could argue it was a relative bargain. So your options for replacing Robertson are actually quite slim. That's part of why his injury was so unfortunate. He might be the fifth most important player on the Thunder, but what he brings to the team is too unique to be easily replicated. Keep in mind that in this realm of play, Robertson is top-notch, one of the very best in the league to do what he does. An average defender is replaceable. An above-average defender, still pretty replaceable. But when you reach a certain level, you're talking about the equivalent of replacing a prime scorer. It's just on the other side of the ball. So without many alternatives, it probably makes the most sense for the Thunder to fine-tune the lineups they already have. Maybe that means starting Houston, like they did against the Warriors. Or circling back to Ferguson at some point, once he feels more comfortable. Maybe you throw Jeremy Grant in there and just see what happens. No matter what the Thunder choose, the larger point is this. Every team has some kind of guiding structure to its defense. But what makes personnel so important and so specific is that every player fails in their own way. The best team defenses anticipate those failures. They know which teammates tend to get caught on screens. They know which actions tend to trip them up as a unit. They know which guards can handle themselves in the post and won't need the help of a double team. It's the kind of thing that's only possible with a deep familiarity. To get to that point, the Thunder need to shuffle their responsibilities around a little bit and then execute in the hopes of more reliable coverage. It's not easy, but it's really the best option they've got. Because what a defense really needs, even more than defenders like Robertson, is trust. Gotta trust everybody out there on the court. You know, that they're gonna be in the right spots, the right positions. You know, if one guy messes up, the whole defense fails. So, you know, just gotta rely on our, our defensive schemes and uh, have each other's back in, in rotations. This is where, during our interview, Robertson started diagramming those rotations on the table. So the noises you hear are his lo-fi telestration. Two guys on the ball, pick and roll. This other guy got to pull over. Somebody got to have the second bottom pull over. Most of the time there's a guy in the corner, so you gotta, we don't like to give up corner threes the way our defense is. So basically those two guys on the backside are guarding three people, 
So the guy rolling on the backside and the guy in the corner. You gotta be locked in and always constantly thinking and scrambling rotations. That's actually a pretty tough ask for someone just learning how to play in the NBA. A guy like Ferguson, he's not gonna magically transform into an all-league defender. But maybe with more reps, he won't look quite so much like a rookie out there. Maybe the rest of his team can better understand how he plays and where he's likely to stumble. So far, his biggest mistakes have mostly been products of inexperience. This was Billy Donovan's diagnosis of Ferguson's defense back in January. He has great defensive ability and talent, but I think he's got to get a lot more disciplined. You know, I am encouraged with him because of that, because I think of the way he plays. He cares, he's a hard worker, and he's a really quick learner. I think the more opportunities he's playing against some of these guys, the more he's going to get the experience. I think the biggest thing for him is just getting out of position, jumping around too much, lunging around. He's so energetic and hyped up, he's all over the place, and if we could get him to funnel that energy, you know, in, in a way that would allow him to really utilize his length and his athleticism, that would really help us defensively. Coaching a rookie, and especially one as green as Ferguson, means trying to see the future. Obviously, rookies make a ton of mistakes. They don't know the calls, they don't know the league, they get lost in rotations, they don't get the timing. The quality of play is just so much higher than anything they've ever experienced before. And so they're really starting out from a place of liability. The goal is to work that liability into something manageable. And to do that, coaches and executives don't just watch the player, they look for the bones of who that player might become. That's where Ferguson's play is at least a little encouraging. Well, I think for me, the defensive part comes to two things. One is he have great feet, and two, will he physically put his body in place? Because when you become a great defender, you're going to have to fight over pick and roll, you're going to have to fight over screening actions, and you're probably going to have to fight in the post. So if you have great feet, but you don't have the physical part, it's really hard to become a great defender. If you have the physical part, but not great feet, it's still hard. He's got both. He's not afraid to put his body in place, and he's got really, really good feet, and he's physical. As he learns the league, that gives me the confidence that he's going to be a really good defender because I can see him getting over screens, through screens. I can see him battling in the post to, you know, Brett's point about him being physical against Blake Griffin. Like he does those things. He just lacks maybe a wealth of experience that a guy like Andre, you know, has. Andre's the same way. Andre's got great feet and he's really physical. And it's hard to be a great defender in the league without having both of those two qualities. Robertson was a rookie once, too. Remember, he came in the league, you know, eyes open, just trying to you know, be a sponge. And it took time to hone his game, but there were a hundred gradual steps between then and now. That's what the Thunder need from Ferguson and Houston. It would be great to have Robertson back. No series against the Rockets or the Warriors would feel the same without him. But under these circumstances, there's really nothing wrong with OKC just making a go of it with what they have. Neither Ferguson or Houston is going to be as good, but both have some of the basic qualities necessary to be sort of a proto-Robertson. Again, you start with the God-given abilities, athleticism, length, pursuit, relentlessness, stuff like that. You take all that and you play it out. Because it's really all that's left to do. Robertson, because of who he guards, is almost a patron saint of bad beats. He's been hit with desperate fadeaways, out-of-control runners, flings in the last second of the shot clock, just the works. He sapped entire possessions, only to have his work undone by terrible luck. So even if Ferguson isn't a perfect answer, 
even if he still looks like a rookie months down the line when the Thunder are playing for their season, it would be kind of fitting to see Robertson's team and his surrogate just working their asses off. Because an injury like this is a bad beat, a brutal result for a player who was doing all the right things. But as you might remember, Robertson knew just what to do when the basketball gods dealt him a blow. If we're doing the right things in the coverage, and we got a, I got a hand up in his face. He still makes it. Pat him on the butt. Go down the other way. Thanks for listening. Breakaway will continue in two weeks with another exploration of the NBA world. Subscribing through iTunes or your favorite podcast app is the easiest way to keep up, but every episode will also be available on SI.com. In the meantime, please help us spread the word to anyone you think might enjoy this podcast and consider leaving us a review on iTunes. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to breakawaypod at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter, at Rob Mahoney. Breakaway is produced by me, Rob Mahoney, with special thanks to Matt Dollinger and Ben Eagle. We also wanted to thank Fred Katz of the Norman Transcript, who helped us out with some of the Thunder audio. You can find Fred's work at normantranscript.com, or you can find him on Twitter, at Fred Katz. Until next time.